This is Rev Ewan, host of The Coolest Show, and we're about to go into a conversation about care repair. Um, we will have conversations about suicide, and there is a suicide hotline that you can partake in, 988 is a text for that. And also in regards to just being burnt out and dealing with things you may be dealing with personally. So prepare yourself. This is a trigger warning. And just know that here at The Coolest Show, we love you. This is The Coolest Show brought to you by Hip Hop Caucuses. Think 100%. It's the coolest show, you know, keep the culture connected It's the coolest show, you know, in your ear, yeah, respect the expert level Information, entertainment, education Rev here, what got you covered as you hit your destination Climate rules everything around me Cream For those who lost focus, close your eyes and just Cream Open your third eye, now the world is your off Coolest, coolest show, you know, it's the hip-hop call Today's guest on The Coolest Show is actually one who actually helps to produce The Coolest Show, along with the other producers, and that's Tamara Toes O'Laughlin. She wears many hats besides being an amazing producer, she, and also, as you know, one of the key hosts who brings many important segments right here on The Coolest Show. Um, she wears a hat in regards to the environmental fund-making process, she wears hats as far as the environmental activist process. And she is now wearing a hat that she has created that is so important. And that hat is around care and repair. Producer, wonderful, powerful, my sister, tomorrow, how are you doing? Um, well, this morning, I feel like whatever is going around, I had my, uh, my turn with it. I'm feeling good this morning. Well, you know, let me, let me start out by saying for folks who are listening. Um, many of you know, I'm a, I am a spiritual person. So I know some of y'all, and I'm very respectful, as you know, because I understand sometimes the movement. And I understand sometimes you may not understand the spirituality. But actually, I'm hopeful that one of our other producers, we have a conversation because she's, she's actually very in tune to that as well. And that's uh, other producer destiny. But we need to have a conversation about spirituality um, and, and its impact. Um, but one of the things I want to speak about to that is that and I, we said this kind of off air, but the devil's a liar. And one of the things here, this conversation, when I was thinking about it and preparing for it, I knew that this would bring delivery to someone. I think there's someone who's listening right now, that you are about to be blessed, that you're about to hear some things from tomorrow that is going to set you on a path that you didn't know you need to be on. You are struggling right now. With some things on the job, in the movement, you are struggling. You are ready to call it quits. You are becoming cynical. You are becoming jaded. You're becoming bitter. You are becoming unpleasant because of the because of the movement you want to fight for, but because you don't have camera pair. And but because of that, because of what my sister Tamara is putting together through her work at Climate Critical, you are about to be, may I say, delivered. You're about to be, you're about to be, you're about to have a situation right now in which you are, have been facing burnout, but you're about to get repaired. And because of that, let me say from a spiritual standpoint, that actually the folks who are then bringing that good news then go through things. So you need to listen this intently to our producer here, Tamara Toes Olava. So Tamara, just off the bat, what is, what is climate critical? So Climate Critical is a nonprofit organization, which is actually just a collective. 
of people who've been in this work. So we are the Black women who have uh, helped you solve problems, um, come up with strategies, uh, mediated uh, thorny issues, um, and developed this work alongside you for the last 20, 30, and in some cases, 40 years. So we're a collection of Black women who uh, have been holding mentorship, apprenticeship, support roles, um, design roles, and have been the public faces of a lot of the work, recognizing that there's a gap. So our mission is to fight for people who fight for the planet, which basically means making sure that as we build incredible campaigns, as we uh, develop uh, mobilizations that matter, as we call for policy for Black and Brown and Indigenous people and not just programs that can be erased at the drop of a hat or the stroke of a pen, uh, we are the people who've been helping you do that. And we are calling the question on whether or not the way we've been doing it actually works for us because there's too many hurt people everywhere. Well, thank you for that definition uh, for climate critical. So then what do you do <laughs> in that aspect? And so I'm the founder of Climate Critical, which actually just means that I looked around, I work with all the people that I connect with, meet with, support, and our relationship with. I was like, hey, you guys I, I, and gals, I think that we have been doing a lot of informal work. You know how there's the economy and then there's the informal economy. So I'm the person who rallied a bunch of Black uh, people and a few allies to say that this informal work that we've been doing is actually the work. We should probably organize something so that each of us doesn't have, you know, 30 or 40 different folks that we're mentoring until one of us drops dead. So, so my job has largely been to organize us into a legal identity, uh, help people think about how we work, uh, fundraise for uh, our endeavors, which largely include helping people rest and take a break from what they've been doing to figure out what their next best move is. And so as the founder, I get to uh, be a booster, a cheerleader, and someone who herds all the cats. <laughs> now, we discussed this kind of offline a little bit, and I was telling people that the, a lot of times when you're creating something, um, you're creating something because you, too, have gone through what you are trying to fix. Um, are, you, are you in that way as well? Did, did, you, did you also, I'm assuming, go through many of the things that you are now trying to resolve with Climate Critical? Yeah, so it would be impossible for me to have been in this work for two and a half point something decades and not have experienced burnout. Uh, one of the things we do is talk about it because it's very difficult to help um, avoid the trappings of burnout and what happens to your community if you're not in touch with your own experience. So as a group of people who are advising the movement and holding this space, we spend a lot of time wrestling with what's our own relationship to power? What have our experiences been? And I can tell you that I did not identify it as burnout. Like when I, when I figured out some 20 some years ago that I could take about three years of being treated terribly before I have to leave. I Figuring that out meant I just moved. So every time an entity or organization or an employer became too toxic, um, there was a specific event in the early part of my career where uh, I was asked, and amongst a bunch of folks who were interning in Washington, D.C., to prepare for a picnic. And uh, the staffer on the Hill said, OK, you, Bill, you bring the salad 
you, Sally, you bring the drinks tomorrow. You bring the fried chicken. And I've been a vegetarian for almost 30 years now. And so I looked at him and I said, do you think that because I'm black, I'm supposed to, I have access to fried chicken at all? Like, do you think that when I go to the ATM, fried chicken comes out? Like, like, I want, I want, I want latch. No, but that, but it, but it was like this was moment. It was a very I early moment. I mean, like, <laughs> like, you know, I mean, he was like, come so on, I was he, like, come on, bro. You really want to bring the fried chicken? Right. Come on. He reversed so quickly because it dawned on him at that second. They're like, oh my God, I just assumed that because you are the only black intern, you would have access to the chicken. And so, and I said, I don't even eat chicken. Like, like, and so he backed up and said, tomorrow, you don't have to bring anything. I apologize. We'll see you at the picnic, you know? And so, so I think I have learned some things in moving around every two or three years to avoid being destroyed that I think has turned into practices about the kind of time I spend, what, who I spend doing it with. But all of that was in defense of like being destroyed. So I think the idea of burnout, I don't know if I had language, but I definitely experienced it as my heart was broken when I expected people who want the same planet I want um, to be protected and defended, looked at me like I was somehow unable to do that or expected less of me. I think the most vicious part of what led to all of, to those opportunities for burnout and those times when I decided to leave to save my mental health was the idea that, that we could not, that if I stayed in position and I didn't say anything, I couldn't make it. I couldn't do this work anymore. So I have collected myself and my skills and moved on to avoid being destroyed. And I think that has informed my desire not to have the next group of people or even the people after that continue living their career avoiding harm in a defensive posture. So I have experienced burnout. It's made me have to change my hair, my lifestyle, my habits, uh, my ways of working and my ways of seeing shared goals amongst people who might try to hurt my community to get there. Man, so I want to get into this because I think you bring something that is going to help many people uh, in, in care repair. Let me ask you to set the stage a little bit, though. I think people may need to understand this, that, you know, this year actually marks me being, as a leader, I've been an activist in the movement for almost, almost probably since about 35, 40 years as a young person. But as a kind of a quote unquote leader, somebody who's looked at to bring something, so to speak, um, I've been in, been as far as leader from about this year marks thirty years, right? In that aspect, as far as from the the movement um, standpoint, so you know, I've I've gone, th- I've seen a lot, I've seen so much in those thirty years, and the one thing that I've seen, and like you, not having all the words for at the time was that I've seen a lot of our folks in this movement who've given up. And that's why I, I, this conversation is so important, why I want you to tune in if you're listening. Because I've, I remember, um, particularly actually the Ferguson Uprising, there was, there was three uh, brothers, uh, Marshawn McCarroll, 23, Donnie A. Jones, 24, and Edward Crawford Jr., who was 27. And they had all committed suicide. Now, many folks in the Ferguson committee said, but listen, the details of their deaths didn't, don't quite add up. And so, you know, some of them, you know, were hanging by a sheet on a tree. Um, some of them, you know, the knots to do that. So people feel that some of them were lynched and we, 
We 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 understand that. But some of them, we've just come to realize because of notes and conversations after the fact that post the uprising, they felt alone. Mm-hmm. They felt burnout. They felt no hope. And it was just killing to me to know that these young brothers in particular mm-hmm. gave their lives up after they were giving their lives for the movement. So that's a different context, not climate. It, that was around racial justice. It was after the, the killing of Michael Brown. But still, this is where we are. So that brings me really back to you then tomorrow. You know, what is the challenge that Climate Critical is asking the movement to face? And well, literally, but yes, please go ahead. One thing that we're asking the movement to face is that, one, burnout is not new. But how it shows up in climate is particularly dangerous. Because climate and environmental work is not just the issue of our time. It's the issue that could end time, right? And so to having that kind of mandate where your work, if you are successful in climate and environment, gives people who sometimes, and in a lot of cases, might not like you, might not want you to be successful, might be happy for you to fail, and for our efforts at trying to save what is left of our planet to fail because they don't want you to be the author of it. And so Mm. the idea is that this mandate gives even our enemies more time. We win. The climate, the climate is not destroyed. Our capacity as a species to survive is preserved. That means even people who disagree with us get another chance. That's a pretty heavy burden. So burnout in racial equity work that is separate from climate burnout in um, marriage equality or race equity or gender or reproductive justice is really important because those movements offer us an opportunity to have a public dialogue about the people we want to be. Climate put us on a schedule. And so recognizing that the impending doom will happen regardless of how we organize ourselves, it puts a special kind of pressure on people who work on climate and environment because they're counting every day. They live their lives on the, on the clock trying to figure out if a connection they make, a relationship they are a part of, a coalition they're calling for, a bill that gets passed, money that gets moved. If it doesn't happen now, it doesn't set us up to have the last seconds we might need to pivot away from all of the trajectory we've been leading towards. And so because that burden is very important, it is also timed. Climate and environmental justice is the youngest of these social disciplines. Like this idea that we want to have a society that works, our articulation of climate and environment is actually pretty young. So I often joke that like climate and environmental justice uh, sort of has uh, puberty problems. You know, there's shapes coming out of everywhere. There's smells. You know, we're, we're not so old as a movement that we have figured out how we're going to work together. And so there's a lot of things that happen when you're growing in movement that can be demoralizing, but we would not have the time to mature. So a group of people taking on such a big mandate without a lot of support to solve a problem that protects everyone means you are especially vulnerable to Uh, burnout, tiredness, fatigue, sadness, miscommunication, and all the basic things that happen in social movements with people, except we don't have enough time on the clock to peaceably resolve that. We got to get there faster in order to get to the answers to the questions we all need. So it's it's scary and unusual. It it is scary, but actually that leaves me, is all care and repair equal? So... Care and repair is an ethos that we call for. It comes out of movement space, except we use it to call a question on 
if we care about the outcomes and the outputs, are we taking care of the inputs and the people? And so the idea of care and repair helps us think through, are we holding space for our humanity as we push against policy, as we develop new ways of working, as we um, uh, imagine and create the, the gorgeous kinds of activities that will make this movement irresistible. And so thinking about care and repair for people who, one, love their jobs. Like, I don't know, 20 plus years in this work, there are no people I know who love their jobs more than climate organizers and mobilizers and people who work on campaigns because they get to fight for something they love in the daylight. That is addictive. Because every time you call for a mobilization or you demand a policy and something happens with it, it reinforces how hard you've had to work. And so to be able to set aside time for care and repair is to take a break from something that means everything to you. That's a part of your identity. It's another reason we're vulnerable. So if we are going to focus on care and repair, many of us, no matter our age, whether we started this work because we got turned on to it by climate strikes or we've been in it for 40 or 50 years doing environmental justice work or conservation. We have to retrain our brains, our programs, our policies, and our organization to add rest as an active part of how we do our work. And so if we take this on, it upends the way we've been doing it. Because the current modality for work is grind until you die or until you're incapacitated. And you said in that last email to people. So care and repair in this context is entirely new because it's not what we've been doing. We've been grinding until we win. And I want to bring it down to, to Mark. I think it's, I think because what I don't want, and I love all y'all listening, but what I don't want for some of our, our lighter hue listeners, I don't need you to go to some of the darker hue <laughs> listeners and tell them I was listening to the coolest show and I'm here. Uh, to offer you some care repair. I don't think that the black and brown people are, are looking for people <laughs> to come to their jobs tomorrow and be like, I'm, 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 I, I think you need care repair. So I, I just want to make sure we break that down. This isn't you, because actually that's part of it, to, to me very clear. Part of the reasons where, where people are dealing with care repair is because of white supremacy. Let me be very clear about that. I don't want to make sure like, that's not. So, the, so you coming with your privilege and your white supremacy is actually some of the things that is causing the need for care and repair, particularly for black people, for brown people, for indigenous people, and particularly for women of color, uh, men of color, uh, young people of color. So I really want to yeah. make sure that that's clear. Yeah. I want people to come up. And I, and I, I want to deal with the standpoint which you just said about, then on the other hand, I think you need to un- explain, because when I said, when I meant, is it equal for everyone? No. And that's, Obviously, it's it's it 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 isn't because it's it certain people are more damaged and they're damaged for a certain reason. Yeah, this is the thing I want to get through. But you mentioned, and we know there's a lot of people talking about for young people particularly, and we we've had conversations about that in regards to the uh, um, eco kind of depression and people are dealing with you know the eco stresses and and that's and we understand that. I'm, not, that this is yeah, we, that those are real and. But they, but they sit differently for different reasons. That's right. But what I want to do with what you just said is this, that there's parts of the country, and you can go back to the archive, listen to some of the shows we had with Green 2.0 and other conversations about literally how these are hostile work environments in many cases. But people are working there because they feel the need to fight the issue of the injustice 
of the fossil fuel industry and fighting for environmental justice. And so they are literally, and there's a way, we mentioned this before, particularly black women, and that's, that's mm-hmm. what I know, and, that, and I've seen it, I've been around for a long time, and it's black and, and also brown women and, and Israel women too as well, but definitely this black women, how this country was built and, and what it was, they feel they got to hold things down. And they got to be strong. And it's a very, it's a very complicated thing, but that leads to them putting themselves in positions where they don't leave. Some of y'all listening would just leave. And that's cool. We like, I'm out of here. I'm tired of Ted talking to me this way, whatever it might be. And they gone. <laughs> there are other folks who will deal with Ted. And I, and I know we got probably some Ted listeners. Yeah. I'm not, I just use it for a name, y'all. <laughs> but in that process, they will hang around and be and working one because it is a job and they are the caretakers of their families and they got to make sure bringing resources back to their community Two, they're fighting for their community. And they right. realize that because of the numbers and how the system is made, they got to stay in there, but that's not healthy tomorrow. Yeah. So, and that's unhealthy for a lot of different reasons. One is not healthy because we as a, as a movement, and my dad uh, used to teach at Howard University. And one of the things that he would, he would bring up was around this concept of pathological integrity. Mm-hmm. He wrote a book about black institutions. Y'all can check it out. He's a, my dad has the same name as my name. So you can check it out. <laughs> Atlantic <laughs> Um And so uh, you can go check that book out. But the thing about that, is that when he deals with black institutions, but when he comes to this idea that sometimes we are doing more than we're actually asked to do. Mm-hmm. Everybody asks us to do that. And that and that we're pushing ourselves to burnout. We're pushing ourselves to literally to the brink because not because we don't have it, we, we have not because we don't have integrity, it's over the top. We have pathological integrity. We're 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 doing reports more than a report is deemed. We're we're, we're, we're submitting more letters to the grant maker because we just need to submit more to prove it. And all that is combined in it. We're, we're making sure that people understand that what we're doing, pathological interiors. That's one thing. The other thing to this is simply around the fact, we had this conversation, that is this the movement that we need to be in? Let's have that conversation. Is this the movement because if we're putting people in a position where they're in need of can repair, do we either need to deal with that or deal with the problem? In other words, if there are potholes in the streets and we don't fix the pothole, and then the guy up the street a little further got a got a tire repair shop, he's making a, he's make he's 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 doing great business because he's fixing all these cars mm. that are coming in. Do we? Do we gotta, do we get him more tires for his, for his, for his tire shop to fix? Or do we fix the pothole? Or do we change the street? Yeah. So I need you to kind of talk about that and yeah. that aspect about this why and how come burnout is a critical issue for the environmental movement. And then really get into, you know, how y'all launched a movement survey and who was it for? What did it cover? And what did you find out? Yeah, so I'm really glad you asked this question. I think it's important to to start with the idea that uh, Climate Critical is full of people who know these things to be true. 
We know it in our bones. We know it in our experience. We know it in our friend groups, networks, and the people we have buried and whose funerals we have gone to, some are on Zoom, right? And so, so we know that the movement is in a state of burnout. What we decided to do this year is launch our first annual movement survey, where we reached out to as many people as we know and many people we do not know who work across the, uh, the landscape of environmental organizations. Our survey touched 106 different kinds of entities, as groups, orgs, teams, um, volunteers, and folks who work on climate and environment, 108 different types of environmental organizations to ask people, are you burned out? And one of the answers that we got was yes. And it turns out that everyone is burnt out. Like you as a person who are doing this work are burnt out in dealing with uh, what we have categorically agreed. Uh, the movement is racist. The movement takes on the attributes of the place where it was built. And America itself organizes everything about how it works to extract from black and brown people, from women, creating these dynam dynamics that you're talking about. So we, what we found out is that everybody is experiencing burnout. A black woman is experiencing burnout. The entities, forces, and people she is fighting to be able to make the work happen and to make it matter for her community, those people are also burnt out. The difference mm -hmm. is that for a black woman, the issues of burnout don't just stem from being inside an oppressive organization, but being inside of an oppressive organization inside of an oppressive country where her identity mm. is both My invisible, Lord. essential, and necessary. So this mm. idea that we produce more, that we show up, that we add, bring things that we haven't asked for, is actually a defense mechanism because America itself runs on our labor. It always has. Mm. And so, so recognizing that this whole movement is full of people who are burned out, that is a really good explainer for why there's so many articles every third week about this environmental organization or that environmental organization, where there's a blow up because everyone who's fighting for a planet is hurt. But the people who do it in bodies that are most endangered and communities that are most vulnerable are also burnt out because of the other people. So we are bearing extra, bearing extra weight while we try to do something that everyone benefits from. That matters a lot because burnout isn't just an internal problem, a community problem, a question that makes us wonder why do we get up and do this every day is because one of the things we uncovered is that in this moment where everyone is burned out, people are vulnerable in different ways. So Generation Z, Millennials, Gen X, and Baby Boomers are also on a different timeline for how long they're going to be in this work. So by 2030, it's predicted that 75% of boomers will leave the workplace. If a large number of everybody else is so burnt out that they can't do it anymore, who exactly is going to raise all of these demands? So there's an internal threat. There's a how are we going to get things done threat. And then there's a just who's going to do it threat. So the work of burnout is not just about helping people feel better, but it's about meeting our mandate. If we do not deal with the threats that are coming from toxic environments and organizations that don't work, they cannot possibly meet their mission, which means we have no chance of winning. And so here's how the lack of care and repair actually affects everyone. And the I, other thing that we learn is that not only is it affecting people differently um, and a group of people that are all burnt out, we also learn that because folks are not experiencing it in the same way, folks are not going to accept help equally. So we mm. ask folks, are you getting the help you need? And a lot of folks said, no, not for my job. I might be getting something from outside of it. And then we asked the question, would you accept help from your job? And most of them said no, because they don't trust the places where they go every day as safe places for their psychology, 
for their energy. So so how so 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 how can they get the care repair then tomorrow? If then, I mean, that seems to be a situation where they're in a they're almost in a position where they're like the job is causing it, right. and then the job wants to help. I mean, so how does how does how so how can you get to a a place where there could be a solution in that situation? Yeah. So part, one thing that we realize is that well, I guess what we're doing here is needed because we consider ourselves like a homeroom, a place where you figure out what's going to happen next. And by mm. doing a survey, we've learned that people are developing practices with people outside of work that they feel safe with, or they have jobs where they can't quite afford the healthcare that's being offered to them. And so what people are looking for is a third place to figure out all of the dynamics, the power, the privilege, the goals that they have that are lofty, the ways that they do them that are messy, and the heartbreak they're experiencing at the individual level. And so one thing we know for sure is that people need places to practice better habits, to build the emotional and mental stamina to be able to show up every day. And currently, there are no entities where they work, where they feel safe to get that. Not just because even if something is on offer, it's expensive, but because if they submitted to a place where they don't feel safe, they worry that that information would damage their ability to continue doing the job they're given their lives to do. And then the most striking thing we learned at the end of this survey was that of all these people who are brokenhearted, who are limping to work every day, who are trying hard to make amazing things happen for you, me, and everyone we'll never meet, they will not walk away from these jobs because they're so concerned about the fate of the planet that they're on the back burner. That is a very dangerous truth. Some, some over 60% of the people we surveyed said, yes, my job is toxic and yes, it is harming me, but I will not walk away because the mission is too important. Mm. Which is really dangerous because if you're an employer, that sounds like, cool, I don't have to you know, necessarily worry about new people. But if the people you have cannot function, don't see each other as human or having trouble hearing one another, how could we possibly go up against forces who just don't want us to win? And so uh, this work also includes some essays written by leaders in this work who have experienced burnout to talk about the different dynamics, how your age matters, how your race matters, how your status in the organization matters, to flag for people that we, some of us who are here have developed some practices. You are invited to help us develop more of them so that we can demand better working conditions, better resources, and space to practice our care and repair where it's safe for us to do that. So let, so let me say this. So as many of you know, I wear, I wear many hats. One of my hats is I, I, I kind of put it in this trifecta. I always say that I'm a doer, I'm a donor, and I'm a door opener. That's kind of how I kind of put myself. I, I look at that in those, those three buckets. And so putting on my, my donor hat, I, I am hopeful if you are listening right now, that you understand, if you're not even doing if you just understand, you want to say, help our, help what we're doing now in the climate crisis, that climate critical is critical to solving the climate crisis. And the reason why that's important is because what is being, what was, what is being said here in this report, uh, what, what, when does the report come out? Is the report out now or does it come out? So it'll be due. So we intentionally chose the last week of climate week and the, uh, which leads into the first week of Mental Health Week. We're calling it the Climate Mental Health Call-In, and we're going to drop the report, the essays, and the material, including some toolkits on what people can be doing. You should be able to get it on April 29th. 
um, and which will be the beginning, moving into the beginning of Mental Health Week. You'll be able to find it on our website, which is climatecritical.earth, not gov, not org, uh, not community, but climatecritical.earth. You'll be able to download it, to look at it, and we'll offer conversations publicly and one-on-one coaching uh, for folks who need to talk about what this says about the life they are living. So you can find out more about how to support us, how to connect with us, and how to join this fight for your own sanity as you fight for the planet at climatecritical.earth. So uh, uh, that's going to be an important report. We need everybody to make sure you check out that Hittis report. Yeah. And you read and it's it. it's a hard read. So you might want to no, be with people it's, you it's, care it's about. It's a hard conversation. <laughs> conversation hard. I know the read going to be hard. Because <laughs> this, this, is, this is why. Let me, let me put it with what we're saying here. This is this is just we want to solve the climate crisis. That is literally about us living, <laughs> and for our future generations, future generations, the ability for them to live as well. So there is a want. Even now, there's a now generations who are dealing with clean air, clean water. So we want to solve the issues of climate and environment and pollution, and so in that. What is being said here is that this, the movement has created dynamics. And we can tomorrow lay it out. You can read the essays that are in the report. So I don't want to go on all that. You can, there's be, there's a ton of essays, different people who encounter things. And you can go that on, on April 29th. You can go through those and read them. This is what I want to get you to. Cause I, I want to solve the climate crisis. That's why, that's why we do this. That's why it's called the coolest show. Uh, we, 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 and, and we want to solve this crisis. What we're saying here is this. If your people aren't up to the task, then you can't push them in a way that they can solve what's happening. Never forget seeing there was a movie one time. It was about a, a black regiment that was during the Civil War, glory. And in, and in, that, in that movie, there's a segment when the, the black officer is going to the person to say that, you know, this particular black regiment, that is dead. That is the thing that pushes it over so the North can defeat the South. And so because the blacks are fighting with the North, and that's the whole premise. But this is the question. When he goes to them and he goes to the, the other officers, to tell them the case, he says, listen, my people want to fight. But there's a part of the movie, he says this in the movie, but they ain't got no shoes. And because they ain't got no shoes, they can't march long enough to fight. So you got to get my people, the black regiment, you got to get them shoes so they can fight. So with tomorrow, with her wisdom, what she's gone through, her, her knowledge in founding Climate Critical, not other folks who I know are part of this, what she's simply saying is that y'all got to get folks some shoes, y'all, because people are hurting and they want to fight and they're fighting without no shoes to the point where they got blisters and they, they can't march no more. And so if you're really serious, invest in this concept of care and repair. That's it. We can win this thing as a broader 
unified movement. We can have conversations about what it means to deal with white supremacy and systemic harm, and we can have all these conversations, but we can't do it if we ain't got no shoe. We don't can repair. And so I know tomorrow there's some other things your research uncovered that we should know. What are those things? And also based on the research, what do you think we should do or be doing about burnout as we celebrate Earth Month? Yeah, I think it's important when the lightning rod of Earth Month comes to flag that all is not well. That it isn't because we don't have bright ideas. We haven't built amazing policy. We haven't removed social license. It's because, as you pointed out, we have not armed the folks who carry this work out in our names with psychological or social support that allows them to show up as their best selves, which means we're demanding whole solutions from people who have been broken by the way we work. And so the thing that I have called for, the thing that we want to see people do is we want to see the funding community take a take this moment to reframe the risk instead of deciding that in order to see uh, a problem, it has to be developed in a way that makes sense to a room full of people who will make a decision. They have to look at the state of the movement and resource people as a part of the way they work to take the rest that's needed. They also have to support folks with enough resources to hire folks so that everyone isn't working all the time. Like we can't, there's no amount of aggressive tactic or brilliant plan that works if you only have two or three people to do it. So they have to resource organizations at a level where people can be on, be off, be staggered and rest as a part of their work, not as a separate thing, but as a part of their work. And for organizations, they have to stop, stop taking the position that you're only as good as your book of business. If you're not out organizing every second of the day, that your mere presence in this work is not enough. You have to be producing every day, every night on Slack, on email, on phone, on text, on every other thing that gets invented. We are failing to give people the kind of creative thinking time that would defeat big oil, big gas and big and fossil fuels. So we are need to fuel our own people in a way that allows them to imagine a future where we can win, because what we have learned from this. Um, reporting is that the level of burnout doesn't just blunt our effectiveness, it blunts our ability to even envision a win. And that's too dangerous to keep going. Like, I wish our opposition had the kind of numbers uh, that we get just from treating each other so poorly. So I think it's really important for us to flag that this is not about hard skills versus soft skills. It's about any people who have skills. And if we don't resource folks effectively, create space and organizational practice for people to do this work, and then change the culture. One of the things we do separate and apart from this report is take people to do to practice rest. So we have rest practice that we offer a couple of times a year where everyone you know, love and look up to comes to take rest along with other people because that's also the work. So if you want to support us, you want to resources, you want to connect with us, resource those things validate those truths and support the people who are supporting you. You know, Tamara, I want to, I want to, there's a couple of things. I, I, I want to thank uh, our producers who actually gave me the name for my, this, for my, my dad's book. If you, if you, which is black organizations issues on survival techniques. Uh, make sure uh, if you, you know, that's very interesting and important. Um, you know, Tamara, I want to get to this, this piece here about particularly around 
um, you know, that is the, the community of Color Critical is mostly black women. The other person who actually has helped me in my journey is the other doctor you're with, my mom, who's also Dr. Murder you're with, who is a psychologist and a black woman, a powerful black woman who loves black women. And one of the things that she has taught me, um, one, is that what it means for a black man to honor black women um, and, 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 and what it means to stand up for black women. And, and one thing that Dr. Ewart, my mom's side, not, not the, Dr. Ewart, my dad's side, but Dr. Ewart, my mom's side here. <laughs> one thing that Dr. Ewart, my mom, would say here as black women is that sometimes we are often, um, black women in particular, are often forced to repeat their trauma. Um, almost as a way to make other folks feel good. People love to hear black people and black women yeah. trauma repeat point. their trauma. Almost in their own, in their own kind of very, in their own way, so that they can. And she would tell, particularly black women, as she would do her work from a, from her, from that standpoint, she would say, and I'm and I'm sure she probably will be reaching out, hopefully to be a part of the primary, primary critical, <laughs> and so I'll make sure you you connect okay. with her in that aspect. But one thing that Dr. Ewan would say is this: she would talk about that black women have to protect themselves, and that's critical. So my question to you is that I know that climate critical is a community, mostly black women who are deeply embedded in this movement. So tell us, what does it cost y'all, to be honest, to publicly focus on burnout as a part of the climate and environmental work? Well, I'd say that I think it costs us reputational risk. If we didn't have such great numbers, I think it's very interesting. Climate critical is multi-generational. There are folks who've been at this five years, people who've been at it 40 years, people who've been at it some time in between, and folks who've been at it even longer than that. And it's that combination of multi-generational work that allows us to take this risk. Because if we say this work doesn't work, it quickly devolves into a conversation of, well, you're not working. This is hard for you. And so being able to go out and get the data, staying together as a group, it is what we have to do to avoid the reputational risk of being assigned blame for a whole system that fails all of us, regardless of the bodies we're in. So for Black women to stand up and say, this isn't working, this is harmful, and we designed it that way, is a certain amount of reputational risk. As a person who's been in this work, who focuses a lot on energy and climate, I hear a lot from folks, you could just focus on emissions. You could just talk about energy generation and transmission. Why are you bothering so much to talk about this personal stuff? this interpersonal stuff, these soft skills. And so I have to leverage everything I've ever known and done for this work with my life to say, actually, the challenges we face are not so much about old tech coming back again, but about refusing to resolve the emotional infrastructure that keeps us from solving this problem like that. So we are taking on together the reputational risk of being seen as infirm or not capable or soft, or weak, because the hard work requires us to be healthy. Mm. So we're, we're staying together with some allies and some Black men and some folks who are very supportive because they also recognize that the risk is worth doing what we need to to beat the clock. Tomorrow, I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm praying for y'all. I, I know how hard that we'll is. take that too. Well, yeah, no, please, that, that works. <laughs> um, and I, also, I just know how lonely this can be. 
I just want to say that. I just want to say, and you know, I, I tell you this privately, I tell you this publicly, man. I, I just, I just love you. I love you for what you've done for our people, for our movement. Thank you. Thank you. Um, for creating this. Thank you for the other sisters who are with you. Thank you for that, because you're gonna, you're going to help future sisters and future brothers right. to not have pain. You're, you're gonna, you're, you're gonna ensure that we can not only fight for our planet, but fight for our person. So I thank you so much. What's thank the you. vision of the future you see? What, 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 what does it look like in this process with Climate Critical? Uh, I envision leagues of brilliant, rested people being able to spin around in chairs and come up with ideas that solve these problems just before it's too late. My vision is that we don't build campaigns unless there are cycles of rest built into them. So if a mobilization happens, people rest before, people rest after. If there are policies we're going through, our bench isn't so narrow and thin that we have to go with whatever we could make very feebly happen in the politics because folks are so rested that not it's not all lying on the shoulders of one, two, three, or five people that I could name off the top of my head. So my vision of the work is that it is not a scarce place, that it is robustly filled with rested people who are excited to work together for everyone on earth. Um, do you have any mental health resources you'd like to share for folks listening right now? Yeah, so we have a, quite a few because one thing that's for sure is that we are not a therapeutic group. We are a community peer support um, group that focuses on making sure you know how to see the harm, you can take yourself off the field if, it, if you need it, and that when you come back, you come back on terms that work for you. But if you need more than that, we are not only a community that's going to support you, we're going to support you and connect it to resources where you are that will help you to solve the things you need to come back if that's what's best for you. So happy to talk about that. People can reach out to us. And over the course of um, this climate mental health call in, we'll be sharing resources on our social media, which is at CCE solves um, where people can connect locally, regionally to warm lines where there are people who look like you who will talk with you about what you need to provide culturally relevant mental health support. Thank you, Tamara. I also want to add in there that I know how this show began, and it's real. If you are feeling alone, if you're feeling a position where you don't want to continue, there is the, the they now have the, 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 suicide hot, the suicide hotline is now an easy way. It's just 988. Just text that, um, and you can that you will immediately be connected in. So 988, remember that. It's real easy now. I'm so glad because of so many people who have been advocating for it as easy as possible. It's 988, and you can get connected immediately. Um, you're not alone in this. You're not alone. Uh, just know if you are an activist, you know, I, we, we know that you love your work. We know you love what you do. Um, but we know that you can't suffer in this process. And so... Um, we're grateful for Climate Critical. We're gr grateful for that being put forth. Looking forward to the report and sharing that report. Um, and we're thankful for tomorrow, Tozo Laughlin. Tomorrow, what's the, what, what are some ways people can find you directly? So if you want to fight with me, uh, join me on Twitter where everyone's fighting all the time uh, at Temerity, which is T-A-M-A-R-A-I-T-Y. Uh, if you want to talk about Climate Critical, add your name, to our list, uh, put yourself on um, the wait list to join one of our care and repair practice retreats or jump in on Discord and chat with us or 
come to a webinar where we talk about therapeutic support and practices your colleagues are engaged in, you can find us on climatecritical.earth or at CCE Solves. We are actual human beings. So we'll get back to you when we are able, but we are for you. We're rooting for you because we are you. That's our guest today. She is Toronto Zalafa. She is the founder of Climate Critical and one of the hosts and producers of this award-winning podcast that you are listening to right now, The Coolest Show. And I'm Rev Ewart, your host of The Coolest Show. Like what you heard on this episode? Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Follow us at Think 100 Climate and at Hip Hop Caucus on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit thecoolestshow.com where you can take action for climate justice right now. You can also learn more about this podcast and donate to Think 100%, which is a non-profit project. Thank you for listening and all power 